0: And I don't think suffering makes character as much as it reveals character. It reveals what's really going on inside of you. And when someone says, well, you know what, this, this tragedy made me lose my faith. Here's what I would say. I hope this doesn't sound harsh. Good. Because a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So if you lost your faith through your suffering, that would say to me you never had proper faith to start with. So let's start. And let's, let's get proper faith in an all-powerful God who's sovereign and in control and knows what He's doing. And let's forget about that faith that could be lost so quickly. And let's get real faith to get us through this hardship and frankly, others that will follow.
1: You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson.
2: Today I have my dear friend and author and pastor, Greg Laurie, who's going to be discussing with us some very hard topics. Very much of the time, we don't like to talk about loss or grief or struggles because we don't find hope in them. And yet, Greg um, is going to offer a wealth of comfort and advice and direction to all of us today. So, Greg, I want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of our interview.
0: Colleen, it's great to see you again. Thanks for having me on.
2: You're very welcome. Um, as I was reading through your work over the last few years, you started at age 19 in that small little Bible study, which now has turned into Harvest and the Crusades and your involvement with Billy Graham and his ministry. How on earth did you balance all of that and family life when you were getting started and over the years?
0: Well, you know, I, I was raised in a broken home. My mom was married and divorced seven times. and was a raging alcoholic. So it's interesting because you know how kids rebel and a lot of times we hear about good families where kids rebel. Well, I rebelled against a bad family. Uh, After I became a Christian, I was determined to have a strong family. I did not wanna follow in my mom's footsteps and I'm thankful to say that my wife and I, Kathy, are just getting ready to celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary. You look at her and think she's not even 39 yet herself, but no, we've been married 39 years. And we have two sons, Christopher and Jonathan. And, you know, and I think probably with my first son, Christopher, I overdid everything. I mean, because I didn't have a lot as a kid, I sort of spoiled him and, and but I really wanted to be there with him. I was a part of his life uh, throughout his childhood, also with my son, Jonathan. That was a very important priority, priority to me. Yes, I was busy. And there were times I was too busy, frankly. Uh, But at the same time, I've always tried to make time for my family. And that is true to this present day. Cause I feel like if I fail there, I've missed everything.
2: Now with someone of your um, reputation, it would be easy to assume that you and Kathy have enjoyed privileges and honors And probably haven't faced very much pain. But you have, and I'd like you to tell me more about that.
0: It's true. And, you know, when when we were raising our two sons that I just mentioned, both of them became prodigals. Uh, Christopher, our oldest, got into drugs and partying and that sort of thing for for quite a few years. And uh, then his brother, Jonathan, uh, followed suit. And thankfully Christopher uh, made a recommitment to the Lord uh, finally. And he was walking with the Lord and we were so thrilled to have him back in every way. You know, he never really rebelled against us. He was always respectful, but he was just attracted to that lifestyle. And uh, and then he got married and they had a little child, uh, Stella, our first grandchild named after my grandmother. And so things were going really bad for a while Then Christopher made a recommitment to the Lord and things were going really good. In fact, they'd never gone better. Uh, Here now we were not only parents, but we were grandparents and and enjoying our new extended family. And then one day changed everything. And it was July 24th, uh, 2008. Well, my son who was actually working for us at our church, he was a graphic designer, very talented was on his way to church in Riverside from Orange County, and he was killed in a tragic automobile accident. And it was just the worst day of my life. And you know, we, could, we didn't know where he was. I was at home, my wife was doing a Bible study with Christopher's wife and his mother-in-law, and I was babysitting little Stella. And we hadn't heard from him, and Brittany, his wife, had texted him, and he hadn't responded, so I emailed him no response, I texted him, I called him, no response. And my message to him was, where are you? Call me. I was concerned, but I said to myself, it'll be okay. It, you know, he's all right. And Then then I called the church and I wasn't getting an answer. And then we heard there'd been an accident and we thought, well, you know, he'll be okay. And And then when I heard the news that no parent ever wants to hear It was really, Colleen, incomprehensible to me. I I just couldn't believe it was happening because I've talked to so many families over the years that it has happened to, and I've been with them when they've heard the news of a child dying. But when it happens to you, you go into a state of shock. Uh, I collapsed. I couldn't even stand. And in my home, just filled with all these people, quite frankly, they weren't all helping me that much. In fact, I wanted to get away and I, I left my house. I had a little office and on top of my garage and I just collapsed on the ground and I I just said God help and I said Lord I sort of prayed the prayer of Job which was, you know, you gave our son to us and I, I give him back to you, but help me. Because, you know, I was wondering, how do you survive this? I mean It's almost as though I could have died on the spot, and if I had, I don't think I would have felt all that bad because I hurt so badly. It was so traumatizing. It was so hard to believe. Well, you know, I'm past that trauma. I'm no longer in a state of shock, but I'm still in a state of great pain. Every day, we miss him every day. We think about him every day. Uh, we wish he were still with us, but we've learned to live with pain, quite frankly.
2: How does that occur? How do you learn to live with it? I, in fact, just this morning, I was listening to one of my dad's podcasts on Abraham, and he was talking about Abraham taking Isaac up and putting him on the altar and having the faith to do so. And Abraham never questioned the Lord, but went right on with what he was called to do. In your circumstance, you're—it's like you're called to endure a pain that is—I—I I, I cannot. I mean, I cry thinking about it. How do you—how do you do that?
0: Well, you—you you do it. You do it day by day with God's help. You know, there, there's no, I've had people say to me, are you over it yet? You know, and I understand they're trying to be helpful, but, you know, just as an aside, Colleen, and you know, because you have a, a disabled child, so you have to live with people trying to comfort you. And sometimes your comfort can be torment. Think very carefully about what you say before you say it, because I've had such insane things said to me. In the aftermath, that one person only moments after it happened said, well, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. Another person said, just rejoice. They're in heaven. Don't be sad. I'm like, well, but I miss them. And and another said only days after, well, are you over it yet? Well, look, here's what you need to know. For anyone that's lost a loved one, especially a child, they're not over it. They'll never get over it. They're getting through it. Uh, it was Stephen Curtis Chapman who told me this, uh, you know, after his little daughter Maria Sue died, she was killed in an accident right in their driveway, and uh, in fact, his son was driving the car and he, and he hit the little girl, she died. And after it happened, he said that uh, one person said to him, there are no words at a time like this. There are no words. He said that was one of the best things a person could say. Really there are no words. Sometimes. You don't have to say a lot, but you could say, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm here for you. I did write a little note to Stephen after his daughter went to be with the Lord. Little did I know, only months later, my son would go to be with the Lord. But in the little note I wrote, Stephen, your daughter Maria Sue is not only a part of your past, she will also be a part of your future. And he said that really encouraged him. So I think the whole idea is to get your eyes on heaven, because as Christians, we believe life on earth is not all there is. We believe that there is another life. Now we call it the afterlife, but maybe we should call this life on earth the before life because the afterlife goes on forever and the before life goes by rather quickly. So I think we need to start thinking heavenly thoughts. I remember Colleen, I talked with you, maybe you emailed this to me, I can't recall, but you said to me because of of your challenge of living with a disabled child, that you had one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. Do you remember yes. that?
2: Yes, I do. Because I live that every day.
0: You do, you do. And, and see, you experience a pain that I don't experience. I, I wouldn't say, oh, my pain's greater than yours. Everyone's pain is real. And I don't think we have to say, who has the greatest pain? You know What we should say is, who is the greatest God? We all go to the Lord. We all have our pain, varying kinds of pain. And so God says, you know, come to me because he wants to comfort those that are mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that comes back to the whole thing of saying to someone who's lost a loved one, don't cry. That's incorrect. The Bible tells you to cry. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, The Bible says there's a time to mourn, there's a time to laugh. Now, you can't live merely in a state of mourning. You have to move through it but I believe the only way to reach a place of comfort is to first mourn. You have to let it out, and there are times when a good cry has done me a lot of good. And so don't be afraid to go up to someone and maybe after some time has passed and say, oh man, I I miss, you know, people will say I miss Christopher and I remember one time Christopher said this to me, I might tear up, but don't think that's bad. I'm glad people remember. The only thing worse than saying the wrong thing is saying nothing and acting as though it didn't even happen. And you're just trying to not bring up a painful subject in your estimation, but the reality is that person who lost a loved one wants their loved one to be remembered. They think about them every day. Don't think you're going to tell them something they haven't thought about. They're probably thinking about it then. But uh, to bring a story up, a recollection a memory, uh, that actually is very helpful, believe it or not. So. Uh, but, you know, just thinking those heavenly thoughts, I'd like to say a word about your father, Chuck Swindoll, who I think is the greatest living preacher in America today, maybe the world. Now, I haven't heard every preacher in the world, so I can't qualify that statement, but I've heard a lot and I know a lot of preachers. And I think that Chuck is just such a brilliant expositor, but he has such a great heart and he's so connected to the real world. And, you know, I will listen to podcasts of your dad every day before this happened, I continued to listen after him. Seems like your dad has a lot of insight into suffering and into pain, and it comes out in his preaching, and, and I know from experience that he didn't get those insights out of a book. He got them from the School of Hard Knocks, and I've been a beneficiary of his insights, his insights for living, so, you know, I just thank God for his ministry, and it's, it's meant a lot to me, and, and so, but, you know, getting into the Word of God, is what gives me the strength to get through the day and keeping an eternal perspective. I'm sorry, that was a really long answer to your question.
2: That's okay, I love hearing it because it's ministry to people who are watching you work through and talk about the realities of yes my son was killed or he died or we lost him I mean people viewing this will have all sorts of sources of pain and grief that come from living in this world and so your responses are helping with how do people respond to someone who is grieving it's Amazing to me sometimes the things that are said. And you listed off some of those things that are very, at times, offensive and um, very, very hard to settle with. I think it was Joseph Bailey, who Dad talks about, and lost three or four of his children. And in one of his works, I believe, now don't quote me on this, but I think it was A View from the Hearse*. Where he writes. I've read that where book. you have it? Yes. Well, I then you may know more than I do on it. I um, know that in that work he writes, it was the friends that came and said nothing or said very little, how much I wanted them to stay. And I. it, it sounds like that has been some of your experiences. Just don't say a lot, but if you're with me in the process, then that is a comfort to me. And I think it's a reflection really of what Christ is with us in the process.
0: Yes, I agree. I mean, you know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was contemplating the horrors of the cross, he took Peter, James, and John with him. And what did he say? He said, stay with me. Uh, and then he goes off the distance and he prays. And, and we know that in his prayer, he was crying out to the Father. He, he was in anguish and he returned and found them sleeping and woke them up. He says, come on guys, you know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But really, what was Jesus asking for? Companionship. I mean, he's God, he's perfect, but he actually wanted some friends around to be with him in his hour of pain. When you go and read the book of Job, which your dad did a long series on, his friends had it right at first when they saw Job in his misery and just literally said nothing. I mean, here's Job, he's lost his children, He's lost his health, he's covered in boils, he's chipping away at the boils with fragments of broken pottery. It was the most pathetic sight you could ever see. And they were just dumbfounded, they said nothing. That was the best thing they did. It's when they started talking, the problems began.
2: Yes.
1: And
0: that's not to say yeah. it's, it's a bad thing to talk, but it's better to say less than more, especially if you don't know what to say. You know, the Bible says, a word fitly spoken is like a, a let's see what they said, an apple of gold and a frame of silver. That's it. And so it's that fitly spoken word. And like I would have people say, well, remember Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those that love God. Well, now that's true. That's scripture. But maybe that's not the first verse I would quote when someone has just lost a loved one. I would quote it maybe a little bit later to them. I would instead say to them, listen, God understands your pain and he comforts those that mourn, cry out to the Lord. You know, I would go to passages more that talk about crying to the Lord. But you know, it is true, Romans 8, 28, of course. But it doesn't say God makes all things good. People sometimes misunderstand that verse. Well, it'll all work together for good as though something good's gonna come out of it. Well, wait. Ultimately, it will work for good, but maybe not on this earth. There are things we go through in life that our heart, and then God turns them around and actually brings something good out of them and we can see it and look back and say, wow, well, I'm glad I went through that. The classic example is Joseph and all that he faced and ultimately he's elevated to be the second most powerful man in Egypt. But then there are times to go through things in life that will never make sense this side of heaven. But God does promise ultimately that he will work all things together for good. He doesn't say he makes all things good, he makes all things work together. For a greater ultimate good. Because you know what? There's bad things that happen. They were a bad thing. They are a bad thing. And they'll always be a bad thing. So it's okay to say, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing I've had to live with in life. But God will bring good despite the bad thing. So It's important that we understand what the scripture is actually saying.
2: Well, I think that is vital because if we look at it, it's vital in that we know what scripture says. It's also so important that the way we define what is talked about in scripture is accurate. And in saying God works all things together for good, it could be defined as good as in I benefit from something, or I get something in response, or I, 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 I. No, 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 no. The process is transformation, and the good is a change in our souls if we allow it or if we choose to allow the Lord to work through that. That's what I love about the books that you've written, Upside Down Living, Hope for Hurting Hearts, which I can't tell you how many people I've recommended that book to, Hope for Hurting Hearts Each Day, which it sounds like is a devotional. I haven't looked through that one yet. But in this book, in hope, you cover all kinds of things. You cover the subjects of people in crisis, hope for marriages, hope for people who have lost loved ones, and yeah. I love it. There, I hope you got to see it. Of course, you have seen a lot of it.
0: Can you hand me that book right now, Colleen? Hand here, it to me. Why don't the you screen. just
2: take it right here and got it?
0: I've got it. Thank oh, you. Oh, good. Oh, look. My- Mine has a pen in it, how did that happen?
2: Well, it's because I've been marking in it. That's my pen, it went through, you just didn't see it on my side.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good, we pulled it off.
2: I wanna say, one of the things that I love that you mentioned is, and I love it so much that I couldn't find it on my sheet, but I just found it. The question, have you ever felt like Jesus was asleep? I think that gives people permission to say, yeah. I mean, I really feel like he's asleep. I mean, there've been times where I've thought, Lord, you've taken a huge sabbatical or you're over in another country doing something. And I think you have forgotten me. Was that part of your experience? And how do you respond to those who are in that place where they feel the Lord is just asleep?
0: Well, you know, Colleen, I don't know that I ever personally felt he was asleep or not paying attention. But of course, the first question I had was why, you know, why? Because Christopher was 33. Uh, He had a daughter. He had another on the way. Brittany was pregnant with little Lucy that was born after Christopher went to heaven. And it made no sense. I mean, if the Lord would have said to me, okay, Greg, it's your time. Okay, I could live with that. Uh, I've lived a fairly long life, but why a young man in the prime of life? And, you know, I don't know the answer to it. And by the way, I don't think it's a bad thing to say why to God. Even Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, but look, here's the bottom line. You're probably not gonna get an answer you like. Uh, God, it, you know, really, here's the better question. It should be what, as in what should I do? And it should be who, as in who should I turn to? So instead of why, you can ask Go and ask why. You probably aren't gonna get an answer You can ask what? Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the who is, Lord, help me to do it. And coming back to your question about falling asleep, the Lord falling asleep, that's based on the story from the Gospels where the disciples are crossing over the Sea of Galilee and a great storm came. I mean, understand, these guys were seasoned sailors, so it's not like they would get stressed out over little storms. They were were more like those sailors on that TV program, The Deadliest Catch, you know? I was on one of those boats. I would be crying for mommy, you know? But uh, so they were frightened. They thought they were going to die. So what's Jesus doing? Somehow he's asleep. Well, he was exhausted from a day of ministry. And so they wake him out of his slumber and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And he comes up on deck, probably wiping the sleep out of his eyes and puts his hand up. Peace be still. And the storm stops. And then he rebukes them. Oh, you of little faith. And here's the thing. Sometimes we feel that way in life, like God's asleep, but he isn't. Now, in a technical sense, Jesus, being fully man as well as fully God, was indeed asleep. But in a bigger sense, God is never asleep. In fact, scripture even says, he that keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He is aware of what you're going through, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. But um, we must cry out to God, and there are times when it doesn't make sense, and We need to remember we're not alone. You know, David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You may not sense God's presence. You may not feel God. But Scripture says he's there with you because Jesus promised he would never leave you or forsake you. And you have to take that by faith. And know you're not alone in your storm and God is not asleep.
2: Yes, and notice it doesn't say um, that scripture says when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, oh, and by the way, as a Christian, you'll get to go around that valley or you're going to skip that valley. It says, no, you will walk through that valley. And I don't know if I mentioned to you in our talk, um, the book by Philip Keller, Shepherds Look at Psalm 23, where he talks about that that valley. Do, Do you have that one?
0: That book is one of my favorite books ever. Well, and I don't even know if it's in print still, but I got it years ago. What was that, like the 80s or something? But Don't say years book. ago in the 80s.
2: Don't say years ago in the 80s. <laughs> that means that we're both <laughs> old. It is one of my favorite books about Psalm 23 because it does talk about the purpose of the valley. And as you're sharing with us about the why questions, Some things I have learned in raising a disabled son or going through various challenges is the question why comes from not being able to make sense of something. And it can become rather presumptuous. Like, Lord, you need to answer for yourself. I mean, come on, this life that I planned, that I was living, I was doing good and walking with you, you've messed up. No. Why? isn't the question it is lord for what purpose have you allowed this to come about he talks in deuteronomy one of my very favorite verses deuteronomy 8 verse 2 i believe is is where it's found where the lord says i led you all the way in the wilderness you know it's moses last will and testament and he's ta- talking to the people about the wilderness experience I led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. Then he gives three reasons to humble you, to test you, and to see if I could trust you, to see if you would be trustworthy. Now, that's the Colleen translation. But for the most part, that is the valley. It is humbling. It is is a time to see if we are going to put our eyes on him like you're talking about, to throw yourself on Christ, to call out to him, to... Have his scripture be in your mind constantly. Um, so the why questions then become, Lord, for what purpose? And in your life, Greg, I mean, the people that, ha- that you have brought comfort to, I-, I can't even imagine, even though you have that pain each day, what do you say to them today?
0: You know, the Bible says that we comfort with the comfort that we've been comforted with. And so we want to take what we've learned and we want to help others in their pain. And I have a lot of people now that write me, that call me, that contact me. They come on my Facebook page and they ask me questions. I talk with them after services. You know, they comment on sermons they've heard me give. And they tell me that it's helped them a great deal. So that's one of those working together for good things you know I was talking to a friend of mine Randy Alcorn a while back and Randy's written some great books that anybody going through suffering ought to read starting with heaven which I think is the finest book on the subject I've ever read and the second is called oh I think no question his book on heaven is the best on the subject and and the other book that came out more recently is if God is good if God is good get those books But I was talking to Randy I said Randy you know I can see so many things that God has done in me and through me since this happened that are actually good things, and I will admit that, and they're good. I have a greater compassion for people who are suffering. I think more about eternal things myself. I have a greater passion to preach the gospel. These are good things. I said, I wish I could have all those things instead of my son, I know, you know, but I'm not given that choice. So, you know, you just, okay, well, these are some of those good things. And, and what I would say to someone that's lost hope is, I would just sort of define it, hope, H-O-P-E. It's uh, holding on with patient expectation. Hope, hang in there, hold on. I know it's hard. I know it seems as though you can't get through this. I understand that feeling very well. But I'm just saying, it's sometimes it's a day at a time. Honestly, sometimes it's an hour at a time. It's like that old hymn says, "Every hour I need Thee." You may need to cling to God hour by hour to get through your crisis, but that's fine. You just hang on to Him, and He's going to get you through it. Coming back to what we talked about earlier, "Yea, though I walk through the valley, yeah. not yea though I run through the valley, or yea though do an though I do an end run around the valley, or I'm airlifted over the valley." <laughs> you got to get through it, but you're learning things there. It's been said, "Fruit doesn't grow." on mountaintops, but in valleys. And frankly, you're gonna learn things in your crisis you would never learn through good times. And so embrace those things. Because here's what I've discovered, Colleen, about suffering. It makes you better or bitter. You have a choice. You can be bitter with God. Say, I'm angry at God. I'm against God. You can do that. That's a wrong decision. Or you can just say, I don't understand God, but I love him and I cling to him and it will make you better. And I don't think suffering makes character as much as it reveals character. It reveals what's really going on inside of you. And when someone says, well, you know what, this this tragedy made me lose my faith. Here's what I would say. I hope this doesn't sound harsh. Good, because a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So if you lost your faith, through your suffering, that would say to me you never had proper faith to start with. So exactly. let's start and let's, let's get proper faith in an all-powerful God who's sovereign and in control and knows what he's doing. And let's forget about that faith that could be lost so quickly. And let's get real faith to get us through this hardship and frankly, others that will follow.
2: Yes, I have to agree with you completely. When you talk about suffering, suffering reveals what is in our hearts and i've put it many times henry cloud's words where you go from the god of the bible to the or from the god of our bible stories to the god of the bible had i not had some challenges and then on top of that a disabled child it i would have believed in the god of my bible stories which is oh it's wonderful because goliath dies and you know we have. People who are freed from um, Slavery after 400 years if You think about that But the God of the Bible stories is All good things are going to come In the end But the God of the Bible Is a God who says I'm sovereign I have immutable attributes Or those qualities that are never changing I am all faithful I am all good I am all forever forgiving, and unconditionally loving. That's what happens in the midst of suffering. Either we choose to seek that, or we choose to play the blame game, which really, now there's two problems. You're not only suffering, but now you're bitter and blaming and very unhappy to be with. (laughs) So its I think another good book is by Philip Yancey, The Gift of Pain. Have you heard of that one?
0: No, I have not. I read another book by... Philip, but not that one in particular.
2: Uh, he Well, Yancey's just a prolific writer, but The Gift of Pain is phenomenal. It's a, stu- it's a study of leprosy and how they found that leprosy was not the contagious, you know, get him away, get him away, but it was, actually a problem with the nerve endings and a lack of the body receiving the fact that there was pain somewhere and equated it to the alarm system in a house, a fire alarm system. Without a fire alarm system, we don't know that a fire is going on and therefore tragedy can occur. And that's how he looks at pain. As a gift, it's a fire alarm to say something's not right. And i think through all colors of suffering we learn that suffering in this world tells us this world isn't right this world is broken and in it we are not going to understand a lot of things and we need to learn to companion with one another rather than toss out bible verses or toss out trite sayings or say say whatever just be my companion be my comfort as Christ is the shepherd to the sheep as they walk through that long valley. If you have, are there certain passages that you would offer to people who are watching who need comfort right now?
0: Yeah, I I have a couple in this book here called Hope. Um, Psalm 119, 114, the Psalmist writes, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. And then uh, Paul writes in Romans 15, such things are written in the scriptures long ago to teach us and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Colossians 3 is another passage that's been helpful to me. You know, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. A better translation of that would be, uh, constantly be thinking about heavenly things or A simple way to translate it, think heaven. I find a lot of comfort in just thinking about heaven. It's hard to wrap our mind around this glorious place that's in our future, where we will be reunited with our loved ones again. We'll sort of pick up where we last left off. You know, I often have dreams, Colleen, about my son, and it seems like in my dreams, I'm with him again. We're together as a family. And in my dream, I'm thinking, wait, how is it you're here? And and I want to say something to him, and he's always leaving because he left us unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have these conversations we never finished. And I love how when Jesus was crucified and then he rose again from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and they find him by the Sea of Galilee, and he has some fish for him. And, hey, come and have breakfast. It's almost as though he picked up where he last left off. Hey, guys, I'm back here. Let's talk again. And... When we pass into eternity, we'll be reunited with loved ones that we're separated from and we'll pick up where we last left off. But I I see grief a lot like whitewater. You know, I'm from California, so occasionally I get out and surf a little bit. And uh, one thing you learn when you are surfing, if you go over the falls, which, you know, you go over the front of a wave and all that whitewater crashes on you, sometimes you'll get pushed under and you don't know which way is up. And uh, more than one person has died swimming in the wrong direction. They're going down when they should go up. So you learn that you grab your leash. Your leash is that it's strapped to your ankle to your surfboard. You grab your leash and if you pull on it, it will take you to your board, which is effectively a flotation device, which will always go to the surface. Grab your leash, pull yourself up. That'll get you to the surface. Even if it goes against what you think is true because you're disoriented, grab that leash and go to the service, get a gulp of air. The leash is the word of God. The surfboard, if you will, is Christ. I get above the white water of grief, I get a gulp of air, there's God, he's in control, I'm okay, maybe another wave hits. But it's the word that will give you the comfort and the hope that you need. So I encourage people to fill their minds with God's word. If you're going through times of suffering, you know, read this scripture, memorize the scripture. Another passage, Colleen, and this is the last one, I'd quote for this, is Jeremiah 29 11. In fact, I wrote that verse, I had it inscribed on the watch that I gave to my son. I wore it for years, I gave it to my son, Christopher. He was wearing it on the day he died. It's, I have that watch. And that's Jeremiah 29 11 that says, God speaking, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, you know. And when I got his watch, they gave me his belongings in a little plastic bag: his wedding ring, his watch, his wallet, and
2: if you keep talking, they could just start at, crying more and more. <laughs> I can't believe. Well,
0: I, I cried. I believe. When, yeah, I cried when I received that, and I read that inscription, and I thought to myself, and this is my honest thought: Well, where's the hope now? Yeah, you know, look what happened. But the hope is stronger than it's ever been because God says a future and a hope. And, and you know, first of all, it says God's thinking about us. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. It's great to know that God not just has thought about us, but thinks about us. And his thoughts are innumerable, according to the psalmist. And he says, thoughts of peace and not of evil. See, we could say, well, God's thinking about me. What if he's thinking bad thoughts about me? No, I know the thoughts that I'm thinking towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil. And what are those thoughts? To give you a future and a hope, or better translation, an expected end. Listen, God has a game plan. It's going to end well. In the end, we all live happily ever after. Not on earth. Not in these bodies. We'll have moments of joy and happiness. Yes, embrace them when they come. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad about it. Enjoy it. But know that ultimately we will live happily ever after in heaven and then later on the new earth and living with the Lord, serving him and being reunited with our loved ones. It's not over till it's over. And it's not over yet.
2: Right. And as long as you're breathing, there's work to be done while you're on earth. As we close, I want to thank you for your time. And I want to let people know how to get a hold of you, which Um, Here, it's at www.greglory.com, and also at www.harvest.org. I hope I said those correctly.
0: Yeah, that's right. Harvest.org is the best place to go. That's sort of command central, and that has links to all the other things that we have available to people, and you can find me on Facebook as well.
2: I know, I just sent you a fence request. Pretty cool, huh? Oh. Yeah, yes. I, mean, I think we're now friends, but I don't even know if you do your Facebook. <laughs> you have so much going on. I don't know if you have time to do it or if you have someone do that for you. I do mine. So there you have it. If you write me a note, I'll respond.
0: I um, want you as my friend. You are my friend, so of course.
2: Okay, well, good. Then it's all settled and done. As I close, this was part of A.W. Tozer's prayer in one of his books. And it's a prayer that is somewhat frightful in a way to say, but one that talks about a surrendered heart. And it re- it's called The Blessedness of Nothing. And the prayer is, Father, I want to know Thee, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from Thee the terror of Thy parting. I come trembling but i do come please root from my heart all those things which i have cherished for so long and which have become a part of my living self so that you may enter and dwell there without a rival then shall you make the place of thy feet glorious then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine for it for you alone will be my light as it's all said and done isn't that what the longing of our hearts really are, to know and be known by God. And as painful as it is, when those things get ripped out from us and we don't understand, we just keep looking up to Him. And as you said, grab the leash and hang on. Anything else you wanna add?
0: Uh, I wanna just thank you for doing what you're doing. I think, you know, out of your pain, Colleen, has come a heart for people that are hurting. And I commend you for having this ministry, reaching out, interviewing me and others. I know that you have other folks that you've interviewed and are going to interview. And I think this is a much needed resource for the church. I commend Insight for Living, for getting behind you on this. And, and boy, i tell you what, it's been said if you preach to hurting people, you'll never lack for an audience. And I think there's so many hurting people out there and I hope that your ministry will continue to be a blessing to them, as well as the ministry of your Father.
2: Thank you for that. Um, I want to close with saying, what are your questions? Some of you may have heard what Greg said or have heard something that I said, and it brought up some questions that you have in your own life. Maybe some grief that you didn't realize was in there, or maybe some pain that's been put aside because of fear that oh, if I start crying, I'll never stop crying. I want to invite you to respond to our show notes and what we put on our page. We want to help. Greg is so gifted and is capable to help. Thank you for turning your pain into something that has ministered to so many people.
0: Thanks, Colleen. Would you take that little prayer you read from Tozer and tuck it into that book. I'd like to have that, too.
2: I will. I certainly will. And it was on um, one of Dad's podcasts that I listened to on Abraham, and I'll send you the link for that, too. So, well, have a great afternoon, and thanks again for your time. I so appreciate it. Thanks, Celine. All right, bye-bye. You can find the show notes and reference resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's discussion, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, share it on your social media and with friends who you think would be encouraged by it. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. And you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and other social media platforms. If you'd like to be updated on Reframing's activities and content, please feel free and subscribe on our website.
1: Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we'd love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.